welcome back to Unsold South. It's been so long. It has been forever. Well, I'm your host, Michelle. And I'm Maddie. And we are so sorry for the long pause. Um, we have had sickness after sickness after sickness hit our household since, what, November? I think it was before November. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's been, it's been terrible. Rough. But I've missed It's been kind of rough. Your voice broke. No, I'm not quite over it. <laughs> Girl, me neither. <laughs> me neither. But we had a lot of fans that missed us, and we are very warmed for all of the attention and the um, shout-outs that we've gotten in the past couple of days. It's been really, like, exciting to see that people are actually listening, and we're like, where are you guys at? So that was pretty cool. I know. And we had that really nice uh, review somebody did where they shared and said we were their favorite. We need to shout yeah. them out. Oh, right offhand, I can't remember what her name was. If you'd asked me like three seconds ago, I could have told you her whole name. Jess. Yes. Jess Atkinson. Yes. Gave us that very nice shout out. Yeah, and said that she's binged our entire show. I know, that was so exciting. I know. I was happy to hear it. Me too. I'm glad to know somebody missed us. Oh, yeah. Well, I had a lot happen, so I came back with a bunch of stories because I have had some stuff going on. (laughs) (laughs) And now I don't tell you. Mine aren't that fun, but. But I'll tell you my stories now because I want to save them for the podcast. (laughs) I know. I went and picked up my baby from your house the other day, and you're like, so-and-so did this and -and so-and-so did that, but I'll tell you all about it um, on the podcast. And I'm like, I am dying to hear how Zane fell through the roof and what is under your bathtub and all this good stuff. (laughs) I can't wait. I know. I got a lot to say. So I got to try not to tell it all in one show because I got to split it up. So I got enough stories to last a few shows. (laughs) For sure. Also, the stories that I've... um, that I've researched that I'm doing, mm-hmm. they are good. They are good stories so far. <laughs> I mean, they're stories that are like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah. And we had somebody reach out to us and send us their entire, like, 200 page, 200 plus page, um, pretty much portfolio on this case. Um, so I know you're looking into that and we'll be doing that episode in the next few episodes because, you know, you 200 pages is a lot to look through. So it's going to take us some time to get through it, but we will be doing that story. I needed to get some outside information because I didn't want the whole story to come from this one side. Right. So we do try and give our uh, stories justice with, um... You know, seeing both sides of the picture, even though sometimes one side is pretty, you know, dominating. Right. And we don't usually do fresh cases, but that one's fresh, and then I got another one that's um, fresh. I like fresh cases. Okay. But I actually, I like I older know, I like... cases better because it's been so long, and all of the information is there. Because when you get a fresh case, you don't have as much information. You don't have, like, you know... Oh, 30 years later, so-and-so said this. Right. It makes it a lot more difficult. But anyway, we'll talk about that when we do our fresh case. Yes. Okay, so our case tonight is the story of Adam John Bro. 
and he's from Louisiana, so that's B-R-E-A-U-X. Gotcha. And I looked, I looked up the pronunciation for it, and it says it's bro. Like what up, bro? That's what it says. All right. So he shortened it to AJ, and that's what we're going to call him. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> he, he was 50 years old when he disappeared. All right. And... He disappeared on August 27th, 1991. He lived in Homa, Louisiana, which was a fairly small town, and a lot of people knew him there. Yeah. He stood 5'11". He had brown hair that was just beginning to gray on the edges, so he was real distinguished looking. He had brown eyes, a scar above his left eyebrow, and he occasionally wore glasses. He was always dressed sharp. He always had his hair done. He always looked good. He just always was on the ball with his looks. Man, what dedication that must take. He had worked as a clothing salesman for over 30 years. So he knew style. He knew what he was doing. Gotcha. And that's what everybody really recognized about him, and that will be important later in the story. Like anybody else, AJ had his ups and downs in life. So he did have that job, like I said, as a clothes salesman at Earl Williams Clothing for over 30 years. He had been divorced for 17 years, but he had a good relationship with his ex, and they had three daughters, and he was very close to them also. Okay. But he had started drinking a little too much at some point, and that arrested, um, that resulted in him being arrested for DUI. At the time of his disappearance, though, AJ had been sober for eight years years. Hmm. Not only that, but he was a mentor to others that had been struggling with addiction, and he became extremely active in his local AA chapter. He even served as the secretary, Mm -hmm. and those meetings were held at a club called Easy Does It Club. You could find AJ there almost every single night at the AA meetings helping out. Okay. The night of August 27th, was um, going by just like all the other nights before. AJ had attended the AA meeting. He had helped to clean up afterwards, just like always. He was sweeping. He was taking out trash. Afterwards, the other people at the meeting saw him get in his car. It was a 1988 silver four-door Ford Tempo. And he drove off about 10 p.m. Okay. A few minutes later, he stopped at a nearby convenience store to purchase milk. The clerk remembered that he had complained about the rising cost of milk. And he then he left the store and everything was normal. The clerk did not see anything out of the ordinary. I feel that rising cost in milk and eggs. <laughs> I know, I'm thinking this was in 91, so imagine if he saw it now. Did not be a happy camper. (laughs) No. The next morning, AJ's adult daughter, who lived with him, woke up and realized that he had not come home the night before, and so she called the police. The police immediately started searching for him because it, it just wasn't like him, and he was pretty well known in the town. Okay, so they didn't have to wait no 24 hours like they do with other people. No, I don't think so. 
A couple days later, AJ's car was found at G- in Jim Bowie Park, which was about a quarter mile from the Easy Does It Club. So he didn't make it very far. How far was it from the grocery store? Okay, so let's let's go over these locations a little bit so we can just get our mind in the same place. The Easy Does It Club is on Bernard Street, and that's a street over, just one street over from Bayou Black Drive, which is where the park is located. Okay. So it was basically right across the road. So the convenience store, on the other hand, is on Barrow Street, and that's off the other side of Bayou Black. So he would have driven past the park, gone to the convenience store, and then backtracked to get back to the park. So in what direction is his house? Um, His house is further on the other side of the convenience store okay so he should have kept going he shouldn't have gone back towards the easy does it (laughs) right right and if he had business in the park it would have made sense for him to go straight to the park from the club do whatever he needed to do there you know i don't know what his business could have been at the park at 10 o'clock at night though yeah, nothing good. Well, and he bought milk. So generally, when somebody buys milk, they ain't staying out they're too long. Planning on going straight home. You don't. Yeah, and this is August in Louisiana. So even at night, even at ten o'clock at night, I can't imagine you bought milk and you're like, I'll just sit it in the car for an hour. <laughs> no. So it, it's weird that his car was backtracked back to the Easy Does It club area his car was found with his wallet which had no cash but he may not have had cash in it it was either on or under the driver's seat there were differing reports on that to me it matters though because if it was under the driver's seat i feel like that's a pretty common place for men to put their wallets if it was on the driver's seat that means it was thrown in there after he got out of the car i mean it depends because, you know, sometimes those wallets fall out of your pocket and stuff. Well, that, that too. Yeah, that, that's true. I mean, Noah's wallet's been in the seat before. Billy, um, his wallet always makes him sit crooked, he says. So he, if it's in his pocket, he's got to dig it out and put it somewhere. Yeah. And he puts it under the seat? Um, no, but if you were like, um, in the truck or something, if we get out somewhere, stick it up under the seat so nobody sees it if he's not carrying it in gotcha okay in the trunk was his checking account bank book and his aa chapter savings bank book and 165 dollars that was in a bank bag that was supposed to be deposited into the aa account as part of his secretarial duties but it would not have been deposited until the next day gotcha The car was locked, but the keys and the milk were missing, and neither was ever seen. It wasn't like there was an empty milk carton sitting somewhere. They never found the milk or the keys. Hmm. And back in this time, did they have receipts? So did he get a receipt for the milk? I don't know if he got a receipt, but the clerk sold him the milk and knew that. Yeah, but was the receipt ever found? I'm just curious. Oh, that I don't know. I'm curious what difference that makes. I don't know. Let's see if the clerk's telling the truth. 
Oh, so you think the clerk's lying? Maybe. You never know. <laughs> Why would he make up selling any milk? Well, maybe it's somebody that looks like him. Maybe. But he um he frequented this convenience store because it was pretty close to the um Easy Does It Club and also it was not it was like on the way from his house. So he frequented this store and the clerk knew him. Gotcha. So his car was almost out of gas, and that was weird because the clerk at the convenience store had told police that AJ had purchased $10 worth of gas on his way to the meeting, not when he got the milk, but before he went to the meeting earlier in the day. Hmm. In 1991, the average gas price was $1.10. And an 88 Tempo would have gotten roughly 100 miles on five gallons of gas. Yeah, so there's no way he would have been out of gas unless he bought it for somebody else. I imagine the clerk would have said that since he's volunteering this information to the police. So I would have imagined he would have said, oh, well, he filled up somebody else's car. But would they have seen it? Uh, Maybe not. Either he got gas and then he drove around for almost 200 miles or even, I guess the gas could have been siphoned out. They stole this man's gas and his milk. Well, maybe, but only about five miles of driving could be accounted for from the time he bought the gas, went to the meeting, went back and bought milk, and then came back to the park. It was only about five miles worth of driving. And there's nowhere else he could have gone, also? Well, he would have had to drive for almost 200 miles, though. True. Very true. And it was the middle of the night. He he left the meeting at about 10. We know he went to the gas station shortly after that. So it would have been between the time he left the gas station with the milk and then when they found his car a couple days later. They found his car a couple days later? I thought they found it the next day. Oh, no. It was a couple days later. The daughter reported him missing the next day. But they did not find his car for a few days. Well, did they check the park originally or just randomly came across it one day? That I don't know. But, like I said, the park was close to the Easy Does It Club, so it stands to reason that someone may have noticed it. But, I mean, I guess it's possible, depending on where it was parked, that you just could not see it unless you went into the park. Did he have, like, a secret um, girlfriend or admirer? Well, we don't know, but uh, we'll kind of get into that. So, here's where the story takes a little bit of a turn. Remember that the internet had just been released earlier that year. And so, newspaper clippings, catching the evening news, and word of mouth were really your only options for finding out information, right? Mm -hmm. So, a lot of people that were outside of AJ's daily circle, they didn't even know he was missing. And so when news did get out that he had been missing for a few days, the police started getting reports from people that had seen him after he went missing. Huh. They just didn't know he was missing at the time, so they didn't think it was weird. Seen him where? Just around? Okay, so 
on the day that AJ's car was found, he was spotted outside a different convenience store by a man named Kenneth Pellegrin. Kenneth was caught off guard because of how AJ looked. He said that AJ looked completely disheveled. His hair was a wreck. His, he was wearing extremely loose-fitting clothes. They were definitely not his. They were in a completely different style than he would have normally dressed. Kenneth said that he, he looked like he was wearing a lumberjack-style plaid shirt, brown pants, and old ratty tennis shoes. Hmm. Kenneth had never seen AJ dressed like that in his entire life, and he had known AJ since he was seven years old. And he is absolutely sure that it was AJ. He had known him since he was seven years old. But let me tell you this. If somebody wears makeup every single day, they're dressed nice, their hair's always done, and then one day you see them and they don't got no makeup on and their hair's a mess and they're wearing clothes that you've never seen them in before, would you recognize them? I would not. I think if it was somebody that I had known my entire life, yes. If it was, you know, like the cashier at mcdonald's that i see all the time and then i'm like i see her somewhere else no but for instance would you recognize alan if you saw him somewhere dressed in dressed a suit up? absolutely not not wearing his glasses dressed up with his hair combed and uh clean shaven and all that i would not recognize him absolutely not I disagree. If he does not have a but million Kenneth fingerprints was... on those glasses and his shirt is all stained up, <laughs> wearing blue jeans that are stained to hell, I would not recognize him. With a cigarette sticking out of his mouth and a Mountain Dew in his hand, <laughs> I would not recognize him. I promise you that. I promise you. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's I true. I would not. But in any case... I've known that man since I was probably Kenneth born, and I would not. was positive. <laughs> Kenneth was positive that it was AJ, because he had known him his whole life. And he was just shaken up by the way AJ looked. It, it really put him off. He immediately was like, something's not right here. Yeah. So AJ is on the phone. And he is acting extremely nervous and he's looking all around and he kept looking towards this car that was parked nearby. The car is a red compact car. There are three men inside it and they're sitting there with the engine running. Hmm. Kenneth goes inside the store and he does his business. When he comes back, AJ and the car are both gone. He did think the whole situation was weird because he had never seen AJ look like that. His whole demeanor was weird, but he didn't know he was missing, so he just didn't know what to think. So, let me get this straight. You've known this guy since you were seven and you didn't say, hey, AJ, what's up? We was on the phone. People were more polite in the 90s. I forgot he was on the phone. 
A few days later, another report came into the police that someone else that actually knew AJ had seen him out on a back road about eight miles outside of town. The person had waved at AJ, but he did not wave back, and the person thought that was out of character, and that's what stood out to him. This person did not know that AJ was missing, but he had seen him in a red compact car with three men. Huh. Uh, just FYI, if any of y'all see me out and about and y'all wave and I don't wave back, it's because I do not see. I do not see. <laughs> I am focused on the road or I am focused on what I'm doing. I did not see you. Well, remember earlier you said he sometimes wore glasses. My assumption was reading glasses because that's the... But, I mean, I also sometimes wear glasses. Noah sometimes wears glasses and it's to see far away. Well, that's when I wear them also. So, if I need to see the TV, I wear glasses. But if I need to see my computer or a book or my phone, I cannot wear my glasses because I cannot see them. See with them. So, I also sometimes wear glasses. I'm saying it's likely that he didn't see them. It's possible. Or if, I mean, why was he with these three men? This is weird. Yeah. Well, if you ever see me out and you wave at me and I don't wave back, it's because I don't like you. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so two weeks after those sightings, the case takes another weird turn when a handwritten note comes into the police station. It is written so weird. I'm going to long pause on the periods. Just I don't want y'all to think I'm hooked on phonics over here. But it's just that it is written so weird that it has a lot of punctuation where they should not be. And so to, to bring that point across, I'm just going to long pause at every period. So you don't want me to edit this part? <laughs> No, because I'm long pausing at every, because it, it's written weird. <laughs> okay. Okay, so it reads, AJ Bro. He was drunk at the time. Self-inflicted gunshot wound. Stomach. Drawstring cotton sack. Put in by friend. Rolled over steep grassy bayou bank. Near dam. Okay, and this note was signed Helene, which was like Helen, but with an E on the end. The note is weird to me because of the placement of the periods because it's not like full sentences. It it puts me in mind of like back in the old days when they would do a telegraph. <laughs> you know what it made me and think And they would of? be like stop at the end of every sentence. It made me think of like what? at the beginning at least like you were reading off a tombstone. Yeah, kind of. I can see that. Because it does it. And when it's written down, it looks very poemy. Yeah. That's poemy for those of you who didn't okay, get that so, country accent. 
What did it sound like? I see. Pomey. Pomey. That's Pony. what I said. Yeah, it's poemy. Poem. 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 I can't say it. It's a warm. Usually, usually if I repeat it three times, I can get it. <laughs> you didn't repeat it not one time. It, so. <laughs> I did. I've repeated it. No, you didn't. <laughs> you just said it the same way over and over. I couldn't get it. Sorry. All right. Go ahead. Okay. So back to this note, which is very important to my case. So I think that it's weird because of this. I think the punctuation is weird because it doesn't really fit in the right spots. And I feel like somebody that would misuse a period like that would not use the phrase self-inflicted gunshot wound. True. Are we sure it's not code? No, we're not sure of anything. It was, it came into the police station. It was handwritten and didn't have no expert I mean, look at we it. don't know who Helene is and say what <laughs> and see if it's a code you mean like in the war like a code for what I don't know what you like, mean like it's coded like oh you know in the movies when they code the uh, suicide letter <laughs> so you have to like decode it and it gives you a secret message I was killed by Helene. Oh. Uh, no, I, I don't know. But I also don't think Helene would have signed the suicide note. True. But I'm saying um, that doesn't seem like a man's name. And there was three men last seen with him. So I'm thinking it's code. I mean, it may be. But I just feel like the, the use of the phrases, like, I think the phrase self-inflicted gunshot wound is more educated than the punctuation and the sentence structure of the note would have you believe that the author is. You know what I yeah. mean? Because the rest of the sentences are so simple, it, it would make more sense if they would say, like, shot himself. True. But so I think maybe it's deliberately meant to throw the police off to make it s seem like they were less educated than they were or something like that. No, I think they forced him to write this note and it is code and nobody's figured out the code yet. I mean, I guess it could be. In the end, the police decided that the note was a prank. Of course. But, but they did recognize an area that could have been addressed in the note. And they did go there and they drug the water three times on each side of the dam. And they did not have any success with that. So they did check it out. But then they were like, yeah, we, we don't think that it was real. We just, you know, it. we think it was just a hoax. True. Okay. About a month after AJ disappeared, a woman named Christy Brodeau. Okay, give me a minute. A woman named Christy Boudreau called police to say she had been sitting on her porch when she noticed an old van driving up and down the road really slow, and the driver looked lost. So he pulls into her yard and he reaches behind the seat and pulls out a bag and starts approaching her. 
he's super nervous acting and he's shaking, visibly shaking. He holds the bag out to her and asks if she wants to buy some frozen fish. She did not. <laughs> she said he looked scraggly and she had assumed he was homeless and he absolutely reeked of alcohol. He walked back towards the van. He got about 10 foot away from her and then he glanced back. When he looked back, she thought he looked so familiar, but she couldn't figure out where she knew him from. And it didn't hit her until later that she had seen him on a missing persons poster at the post office. And she told police she was about 90% sure it was AJ. The police investigated all of these leads and more. They checked hotels, they checked bars, they interviewed inmates in jails all over the state. They had a witness hypnotized. They even looked into a psychic's tip that AJ was being held against his will at a river camp outside of town. And none of those panned out. Um, quick question. Did we ever figure out who Helena was? Helene? Hel- Helene? Whatever it was. No. <laughs> no. I think it's Helene. There's a plantation, a Helene plantation in Louisiana. Interesting. Is it near, um, the town, what did I say it was? Homa? Homa? Yeah, it's, uh, hold up, I'll spell it for you. I'm telling you, it's code. Okay, it's H-O-U-M-A. I checked the pronunciation on that one, too, because I was not sure. Let me tell you. Because I'd have been like, humor. It is one hour and 30 minutes away. So that would account for why his gas was missing. And it it's uh, spelled the same way, Helen with an E? Yeah. Ashland Bell, Helen, a, Helen oh, E. Plantation. Weird. Oh, did they have water? Let's look. Let me just zoom in on maps. Yeah, it's right on the river. And that's that's interesting. Let me tell you, it's code. I just cracked it. (laughs) You might have. (laughs) Man, I should be an investigator. Well, you should be. Nothing the police checked into had panned out. So, I mean, you doing... You may have found a lead they didn't know about. Yeah. Okay, so police did believe that if AJ had started drinking again, he could have had, um, it could have caused some memory issues. His family and friends, though, were adamant that he would not have started drinking back. He would not have started back drinking. And so he must have met with foul play because he would not have just disappeared and he would not be drinking again. Even though they all held out hope he was alive and that he would be found safe one day, his daughters were forced to have him declared dead in court in 1998. When serial killer Ronald Dominique was arrested in 2006, AJ's daughters began to suspect that their father may have been one of his victims. Dominique targeted homosexuals and AJ had recently come out as gay. Hmm. Am I looking into Dominique um, because I was not familiar with Ronald Dominique? 
he targeted men between the ages of 16 and 46. Most were vagrant drug addicts. Mm -hmm. And then there were also some homosexuals in there. And it said his, his MO was to meet them by chance, like on walks or drives or in gay bars. And this was weird to me because it said that he would offer them sex with his fake girlfriend. Why would a gay person want sex with his fake girlfriend? Or drugs or alcohol. Right. So I'm assuming that was the vagrants or the drug addicts, but they never mentioned that he offered them sex with himself. Hmm. But I assume he would have in the gay bar. I don't know. Anyway, he would either offer them the sex with this girlfriend that he didn't actually have. Yeah. Or he would offer them drugs or alcohol or a place to stay. He would get them to his trailer and then he would overpower them. He would tie them up, rape them, and then strangle them. Then where would he put their bodies? Um, that I don't know. So they never recovered any of the bodies? I mean, I'm sure they did. I didn't really look that much into it. I was trying to find his MO to see if I thought that AJ actually could have been one of his victims. Um, because my thing is that I, I don't think AJ would have fallen. AJ didn't need somebody else to buy him alcohol or drugs. I don't think he was into drugs. You know, he wasn't homeless. He didn't need a place to stay. So that would mean that he somehow met this guy and it was on the promise of sex. It, I don't know. It just doesn't strike me as that he would have been this guy's fa- favorite target, no. you know. Um, investigators said that Dominique didn't start killing until 1997 and AJ disappeared in 91. But Dominique would have been 27 in 1991. So those dates don't really mean a ton to me because you don't really know what he was doing before you know what he was doing. Yeah. I just, like I said, I just personally don't think that AJ would have bought anything he was selling. I mean, he had a job. He could have bought his own drugs or alcohol if he was inclined to do that. He had the money from the AA club in the trunk of his car still. So it wasn't like he didn't have money to buy, you know, drugs or alcohol if he wanted. I just, I don't know. I really doubt that this is true. And for that reason, I didn't really look into it um, where the bodies were and all of that. So... I just wanted to double check if it it seemed like a plausible thought that he could have killed AJ. Anything's possible, but I just don't think it's likely. Now, in the late 2010s, this case may or may not have taken another turn. In my research, I ran across several comments made by different people that someone matching AJ's description as he would look now, well, at that time, that, like, he was definitely older, but looked like AJ, 
and that he was being spotted in gay bars in Texas. He was transsexual, and they felt very, very strongly that it was AJ. What? It's on the internet, so it must be true, right? Yeah, that sounds so true. Right, right. So, but... Okay, so what's interesting to me is that the reactions from the people that claimed they, like, actually knew AJ from town and people that knew him personally, they were extremely defensive about the thought of him being a transsexual. A few of them were even like, you need to leave his lifestyle out of this. It doesn't have anything to do with what happened and blah, blah, blah. My thing is that you do not know what has to do with a disappearance unless you were involved in the disappearance. So you can't 100% say that his lifestyle had nothing to do with his disappearance. Right. But it felt like they were extremely upset at the thought that somebody was saying that he was living in a, as a transsexual. So that made me wonder if it was a possibility that he felt like he just could not be his authentic self in that small town in Louisiana. And maybe he he did find himself as transgender and he felt like he needed to leave in order to live the life he wanted and needed to live so you're buying it well i don't know but i do think it is a possibility and the truth is anything's a possibility at this point and, and let me just be clear on this. There is absolutely no indication whatsoever that his family and friends would not have been anything other than supportive of his lifestyle if he had come out to them as trans. They were supportive of his, his being gay. So we honestly don't have any reason to believe that they would have said, okay, gay's fine, but trans is a no-go for us, you know? So, we really don't have any reason to believe they wouldn't have been supported, supportive. But, you know, in small towns, people like to gossip. And that gossip can make it difficult on the person that's getting talked about. And it can make life unbearable for the people that love that person that's getting talked about. Yeah. And, I mean, I feel like I use this phrase a lot, but it was a different time. And trans people were not widely visible other than in gay bars. And and even then, you had a lot of um, cross-dressers, and some of them were not even gay. They were straight men that would say they like to dress as women it was very confusing just because somebody dressed as a woman didn't make them gay didn't make them trans trans was not as widely accepted or talked about it just was more i really i hate to say it this way but it was more of like a novelty 
back there. You know, right now you can go to the grocery store and you could see trans people and not even think anything about it. Back then, if you saw a trans person, you noticed. Gotcha. Right or wrong, it's just the way things were. And as always, I don't, I'm not trying to offend anybody and I hope nobody is offended by that. I'm just trying to explain the way things were back then. And I'm trying to do it gently, but sometimes I don't always do that the greatest. <laughs> Let me tell you this tidbit that I found. Okay. okay, so going back to the Heleny house, <laughs> excavations were being done for the Shell Oil Company in 1989 and in yeah. 1992. Huh. Huh. Yeah, so he's buried on that property, I guarantee it. Shot in the belly, but he didn't do it. I mean, that's... It's at all possible. He's there, I'm telling you. So, um, there were also replies on on these same threads that, um, about his... That he had started drinking again. And people were pretty defensive about that also not nearly as defensive as they were about the the transsexual thing but they were very defensive about um his drinking again also and having addicts in my family i know that addiction's powerful and you you honestly can never know what a person's struggling with internally you know what they allow you to know and that's all you know right so you really cannot with any certainty say he absolutely would not have started drinking again there's no way that would have happened you can say that you don't believe he would have started drinking again but you honestly if he was struggling with something and it was leading him to drink. You honestly wouldn't have known that unless he was telling you that. No. Now, like I said, he was very active in AA. He was at meetings almost every night. Personally, I do not think that he started drinking on his own volition. So... I don't know if, you know, somebody else maybe drugged him or something, but I personally don't believe he just up and started drinking again randomly. Yeah. Every year on the anniversary of his disappearance, his daughters push to get the case back in the news. They do it every single year. They want answers. They deserve answers. So... If you can shed any light on this case, please contact the Homa Police Department and we'll have that um, phone number and case number on the show notes. I'm tired of reading them out because nobody's sitting there with a pen anywhere. Yeah. Y'all are in y'all's cars or exercising or something. Ain't nobody sitting there with a pen. <laughs> so they'll be in the show notes or you can just Google it because Google is a thing now. Yeah, it's your debt. Okay, so do you have theories? Uh, yeah, I already told you my theory. Oh, so you're just, that's your only theory? Yeah. He was taking- Who do you think the guys in the car were? Um, I don't know. Somebody he pissed off. So the milk thing. Let's go back to that for a minute. 
he a lot of people said that he was extremely nice and he would just do anything to help somebody so what if someone at the meeting had mentioned that they needed help that they didn't have milk for their baby blah 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 and he was like hey i'll get you some milk after the meeting and uh just meet me at this park over here and so he runs grabs the milk comes back to the park they grab him up but for what reason mm, i don't know and so also with the thing where the guy saw him at the convenience store so you don't believe that was him or you no it could what? have been him um i think that uh that they jumped him at the park and they made him drive to the um plantation over there and then they did something to mm -hmm. him i don't know what Maybe they kept him in a, uh, like a basement or something and tortured him and was like, we're going to get your daughter if you don't do everything we say. And then they loaded him back in the car and then they dropped off his car and then they, like, was trying to see, like, if he would, um, basically follow directions and so they would let him in the store, but they wanted him to be on the phone the entire time he was in the store to do simple tasks for him, for them. And then he might have made him mad somehow. Yeah. And then they killed him. Dumped his body at the plantation. So, but what do you think they wanted from him? That's a good question. I don't know. Because, I, I mean, he worked at a, a clothing store. I don't think he was, he was rich they never asked the daughters or the family or anybody for any kind of uh ransom or anything like that they wanted to humiliate humiliate him but for what reason um i don't know jealousy i do not think he was the guy selling fish in the van no i don't believe i don't that. believe that no. but as far as the rest of it and if he wanted to start a new life, sure. like you said earlier, then why would he stick so close to his hometown where everybody knew him? Well, he didn't. Um, and he may have been gathering stuff. Maybe these men were helping him get out of town. And he had to, um, you know, get some money, borrow money, whatever, before he could go. You know, he didn't want to steal from the AA, so he just left that. He left the car where they would be able to find it so his daughter could get it. But I don't know why he wouldn't have left the key. Maybe she had a spare key and he knew that. I don't know. And maybe these guys were helping him get out of town. He wasn't seen in Louisiana. He was seen in Texas. So Texas is a big state. Has a lot of gay bars. True. And he wouldn't give, you don't think he would have gave his daughter a heads up? I mean, I think so, but I've never been in that situation where I felt like I had to leave to protect somebody, which in my opinion had to be what it was if that's why he left, because otherwise he would have just lived his truth in this town. So my theory is he had to have been trying to protect his daughters from the people talking. Gotcha. 
So I've never been in that position, so I don't honestly know. But I, I mean, I personally think, yes, he would have told his daughters. And I do think something nefarious happened to him. But, um, but I do also believe the whole transgender angle is a possibility. Yeah. It takes a lot of guts to just, you know, people that have been around you for your entire life or, you know, you've had relationships with for years and just to say, listen, I'm not the person you thought I was. And then you're just living an entirely different life now. <laughs> it just doesn't, I mean, that cannot be easy. Yeah. So... I don't know. So, anyway. Now, I'm done with that story. So, I do have a story to tell before we run out of time. Okay. And you wanted to hear how Zane fell through the roof. Whichever story you want to tell me. What's living under your house? When Zane yeah, I got fell a lot through of the stories. roof. Now, we're going to talk one. about Zane real quick. <laughs> oh, yeah. I got a lot of stories. I got, like, a bunch Melanie fail that was hilarious I mean like a lot of stuff has been going on so okay so I had said before how I like super like to decorate for Christmas and stuff yeah so we're we're gathering all the Christmas stuff and we're like repacking everything and it is like a butt ton right so um we have an attic and we got these boards to put up in the attic to lay across the um what do you call them beams the little supports beams that go across yeah yeah well no i can't think of what they're called the studs in the floor because there's no flooring it's just studs yeah so we got the wood to go on top of that so that we would have more um, storage space without having to just balance stuff on the studs. So we're like passing the boards up and everything. Well, I had hurt my back, so I wasn't actually passing boards up. I was supervising. And so I'm over in my chair. I'm actually working on stories. My chair is in the corner. The attic access is in the opposite corner from my chair. Kayla and Melanie are handing boards up to Zane, who is in the attic. He is, like, slamming these boards down. He's making so much noise. I'm like, hey, don't fall through my roof. Be careful. Be careful. <laughs> Mel, I'm like, Melanie, tell him don't fall through my roof. Tell him to be careful. Because I'm like, I don't know if he's hearing me because he's in the attic, even though he's right above me. And so she's like yelling, Mom says, be careful. Mom says, don't fall through the roof. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and the last board up, he gets it. He's going on. And so I'm like, last board. Billy's texting me from work. And um, I'm, I'm a texting him. And I'm like, he got the last board up. Yay. And then uh, all of a sudden... So, Melanie passes the last board up. Kayla walks out. She's in the hall. She walks out to do something. Melanie is sitting in the middle of the couch, which is dead center of the wall between where I'm sitting and where the attic access is, right? Mm-hmm. 
Kayla's coming back. She opens the door, and it's like immediately when she opens the door, all of a sudden, (laughs) Zane falls through the center of the roof, like dead in front of Melanie. It's like a foot in front of her. He's like halfway through the roof, like it's his legs dangling. He's from the waist down. He's in the living room now. The whole... There is so much insulation everywhere. At the exact same time as he falls through the roof, this giant um, mug that I built you for Christmas to take pictures of the babies in hot cocoa. Yeah. So it's gigantic. It's like big enough to fit two babies in. It somehow falls through the attic access. At the exact same time. So, like, I don't know if it was on the board and he stepped on it and it, like, catapulted it. (laughs) With this cup mug thing (laughs) is a tin pan that goes up under a hot water heater to catch any drips. Yeah. And so, it is also raining through here, but it's making a hell of a noise (laughs) as it comes through. (laughs) So, okay, so basically this is what's happening. I'm sitting in this corner. Melanie's in the middle. Kayla's in the doorway. Kayla walks in and immediately his feet fall dead in front of her face. (laughs) Everything is raining down on Melanie because she is in the center of everything. He's raining down. Insulation's raining down. This cup and pan thing is raining down. The dogs are in here and they jump up and they're just running ballistic. They're just running in circles. They're panicked. They're like howling and running in circles. They have no idea where to go. but And they're just running full speed like they got the zoomies. <laughs> Kayla screams. Melanie screams. One of the dogs finally spots the kitchen door being open and ran in there and then the other one followed. And, um, insulation is everywhere. And it's, um, this is an old house, so it's chopped up newspaper. <laughs> it's not solid sheets. <laughs> it's like 50 pounds of confetti fell. <laughs> and it's everywhere. And I had some of my Christmas stuff in here stacked, ready to go up. So it's on top of all of that stuff. <laughs> it's it's everywhere. I mean, and it's just like the ceiling fan was on, but part of the roof fell and stopped the ceiling fan. So then we're like mad dash looking for the remote to stop the ceiling fan, which we finally found. And everything is buried under like two inches of this insulation. It's dusty as hell. I'm like, y'all cover your mouths. I'm like, are you okay? He doesn't answer. He's still dangling through the floor. He doesn't answer at first. I'm like, are you okay? He's like, yeah, I'm fine. So, um, I had took a picture of the roof thing and I like sent it to Billy and I'm like hey we had a tragedy and he's like what the hell you sent you sent they got the last board up and then you were like we got a tragedy (laughs) and there's a big hole in the roof and so (laughs) 
it was like and then he was like hey try to keep as much of the insulation as you can so we're like trying to sweep this up <laughs> and uh and bag it into a big trash bag so it could get sent back up there the news so this aide don't want to come down because i just said like yes because insulation's expensive i don't know if you priced it lately. no i haven't so we're like trying to sweep up so we put on our covid mask and we're like uh trying to sweep it all up and everything we bag it up in a trash bag and then we send it back to the attic and so then for like um it's freezing in here because i've got a big hole in the roof <laughs> and i can see up to the uh to the roof of my house now and so anyway i was like I guess we'll wait on putting up the Christmas stuff. Because, <laughs> I mean, it was it was a wreck. And so we got, but I got pictures of what it was. It was a wreck. But Melanie was screaming and it was so loud. And, and, Mel, and Kayla, she like dove backwards back into the hall, scared the shit out of her. The dogs, they're zooming all around. They don't know where to go. They're like bouncing off the furniture. They're just running. <laughs> I mean, it was so chaotic. And I'm sitting in my chair like on my computer. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I look up and I'm like, no. <laughs> you didn't think to take a picture? Of him hanging through the roof? Yeah. No, I didn't. Ugh. Well, I was like, are you okay? Why, why, um, why but are no, your cameras not up yet? I don't know. I desperately need them because we had another incident happen. And I'm like, I am so pissed that I do not have those cameras. Because, well, also because I wish I had proof that I did not laugh. <laughs> so what did he say Because, happened? you know, people that know me know. Oh, yeah, you laugh at He set the board down. He set the board down, but then um, it wasn't on, it wasn't like on the thing correctly. It was like had an overhang and he stepped on it. Oh. And it flipped up and like shot him through the roof. <laughs> Ceiling. Are you sending me the picture? There, I sent you pictures. Yeah, I sent you pictures. <laughs> it was tragic. I mean, it was like, there was so much happening. It was so chaotic. I've never in my life seen. And it was just so weird that that other stuff come flying through the attic access at the exact same time he come flying through the the sea line at the exact same time that Kayla came through the door. It was so chaotic. Did you find anything hidden in the insulation? No, but I didn't. I mean, I wasn't. It was everywhere. No, I don't think anything was in it because it was everywhere. It was all over us. It was, it was. Oh my goodness, it was so terrible. And then we had to get the wet dry vac out here and try to suck up a bunch of it that we couldn't sweep up. We were like vacuuming and the dogs were already, they were nervous for like two days after that. <laughs> it was a whole thing. So that was, uh, that was what had happened when Zane fell through the roof. That's hilarious. And it put me way behind getting my Christmas stuff put up. 
So I still have like um I still have like eight more totes and some mannequins and stuff to go up there. Uh yeah, I have a bunch of stuff in my dining room right now. Still waiting to be put up there. I know, I still gotta get my cookie jars down and stuff like that and pack them up. I'm waiting on that. I keep telling Billy that's what I'm waiting on. But, um, I got some other stuff I probably could have packed, but, man, I'm tired. I'm tired of packing. Uh. I took inventory and I've got, I'm on six pages of inventory. Jeez. Of my my decoration. And I still have, like, probably another page or two of inventory to write. That's ridiculous. <laughs> it's crazy. I know. And I told Billy, I was like, hey, like, I thought I was pretty even on Halloween and Christmas decorations. And turns out, like, I've got a whole lot more Christmas than Halloween. And he's like, this is not where we're going to sit there and tell me that you need to catch up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I only got a couple things that I want to do for Halloween this year. But then, you know, once I get started, I'm like, oh, and this also. Oh, yeah, remember I said I wanted to do that, too. (laughs) So he's like, no. But we'll see. (laughs) Come Halloween time. Yeah, you will. (laughs) Yeah. Well, in any case, I'm done with my story. Do you have anything to add? Do you have anything you want to share? Mm. Not that's as good as that. <laughs> I was going. You to... don't have anything. Well, that's as good as no. That. I was going to tell you about our gourmet breakfast that we had. We had okay. So for those of you who don't know, you kept my kid for me for the weekend. Thank you for that. And me and Noah had gourmet breakfast, which. Beholded eggs, bacon, toast, and grits. Man. Well, um, when to yeah, right, high baller. Today, Noah was like, I wanna have that let's go ahead and have gourmet breakfast again <laughs> because we still have like half a thing of bacon and the baby will eat it and it'll be great. And I was like, Okay, but you're cooking it this time. <clears throat> so then I go in there. Um, well, actually, I'm watching the baby and playing with him and everything. And Noah's in there cooking. And then he's like, can you come help me plate? And that's when I knew I was going to have to finish breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> because when I got in there, the bacon was done and the toast was done. But he has not started the grits, nor has he started the <laughs> eggs. Okay. So I don't know what the heck I'm plating. You want me to plate the toast? What do you want me to do? Like, it's fine for right now. So then I'm standing in there with the baby just looking like I don't know what to do in here. And he's like, okay, I'm going to make eggs now. You want bacon grease eggs? And I was like, not really, but you do you, boo-boo. So I don't know what it is, but the Louisiana side of his family puts like a whole bunch of oil in the pan when they cook eggs. Like... They deep fry their eggs, and it's weird to me, and I don't know how they do it. Like, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Well, okay, so but let me just pause you one second. So, I think a lot of people use the bacon grease to fry their eggs, though. 
Yeah, but I feel like you dump a little bit out in your jar. Yeah, yeah, you save your bacon grease. Yeah, yeah, you save your bacon grease. Yeah, well, he had, like, the entire thing of bacon grease. Like, this <laughs> thing was, like, an inch deep. It was ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, so he's like, how many eggs you want? He starts cracking it. I'm like, I'm going to just do one today. Yeah, because y'all was about to get the And he's the like, I, I think I'm going to have two. And I said, yeah, I said, um, I'll, I, I think the baby will eat two. Also, he loves eggs. <laughs> So then he starts cooking them. He's dropping them in there and everything. And I'm like, the baby's going to want scrambled eggs. So he's sitting there. I don't know what possesses him, but he has this pan on high heat in baking grease. <laughs> I'm not paying any attention. The eggs start cracking, like uh, popping at him. the baby like playing with him like i don't want to be here but if i leave i'm a bad person <laughs> so then he's like okay here i'll take the baby so he takes the baby out of my arm and he said you help me you finish this so then i go over there and i go to flip that first egg and let me tell you i thought it was a rubber egg it was that egg was so freaking hard. Like, the top was still, like, not cooked, but the bottom was, like, a freaking play egg. <laughs> so then I flip it, and then I'm like, oh, my goodness. And I'm trying to flip the rest, and I'm like, what have we got going on here? I realized that he has the pan on high heat. And I'm like, jeez Louise. So then I'm trying to, like, chop the egg into like scrambled eggs ish i'm trying to chop it and i'm like i cannot feed my baby this so then he evacuates the kitchen he leaves i'm like cool man so, cool so is he a bad person because he left he's like i don't know so i forgot about this part <laughs> he asked me to take over and i was like you're messing up our gourmet breakfast. It's gourmet trash now. <laughs> and then he got offended by that. I don't know why. <laughs> so then I decide that I cannot feed my baby plastic eggs. So I have to, you know, lose the $8 in eggs that we got and throw away two of the eggs. I made Noah eat the eggs that he cooked. So he ate three eggs. And then I made two more scrambled eggs for the baby. And then I did not have eggs because I was like, at that point, we are like mortgage, second mortgage, third mortgage, the house to eat breakfast this morning. So that's what happened was. And he didn't even make the grits. He didn't even start the water. I don't know what possessed him. They're instant grits that go in the microwave. And he had like a pot of water on. I was like, screw it. I'll just make grits with the pot of water. Wait. He didn't even turn the water like on. Like a bag of grits and you put it in the microwave? Yeah. In a bowl with a bag of grits. Oh, I ain't never done that. Anyway, so, well, I didn't this morning. I dumped out most of the water that he had and poured the grits in there, stirred them, and put butter and all my stuff in there. Made him taste good, but yeah, he didn't even start the water. <laughs> I don't. Something about men—they have an issue <laughs> with the timing of the food. Yes. 
what possesses you to make your Billy toast will do first? That too. Like he'll do the toast first, and I'm like, yeah. What? And we literally have in a the grits. You can put that water on. But you can put that water on and put your grits in there and cut off the fire, and your grits is just making in the bag. I mean, you ain't, they just sitting there getting good. Yeah. No, he did his Why are you toast doing the rounds? I don't. He did his toast first, and then he made the bacon in a pan, which I usually put it in the oven because it's quicker that way, and I don't have to mess with the bacon popping me. Right. And then um, he, okay, so he did his toast. And then he started his bacon, and then he took his toast out, and then he messed up the eggs, and he did not make the grits. But if you were doing it, you would put your bacon on the pan first, and put it in the oven, then you do your grits, then you start your eggs, then you do your toast. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, at least he tried. He did. It was gourmet trash. Sadie enjoyed those plastic eggs. <laughs> but he was mad at me for calling it gourmet trash. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Did uh, that, that was my story of what happened was. Well, that's all I've got this week. So I enjoyed your story about your gourmet egg trash. And uh, do you have anything to say about our social media or whatever? Yes, you can follow us on Unsolved South um, on Facebook and join our discussion group where we talk about all the cool things. If you ever want to talk about it, uh, we are willing to talk. And then you can follow us on Instagram at underscore, or sorry, Unsolved underscore South, right? I don't know. (laughs) You handle that. On Instagram? Pretty sure. Pretty sure. And then, if you want to email us, we check our email occasionally. It is unsolvedsouthpodcast at gmail.com. Awesome. All right. So, um, y'all make sure y'all share us with your friends. Uh, I don't remember who I'm sharing it with, so share it with your hairstylist. How about that? Ooh. There you Sounds go. good. All right, we'll see y'all next week. All right, bye. bye.